throughout Britain, men and women are foregoing the 9 to 5 jobs introduced during the Industrial Age as they embrace new technologies within the digital revolution. And these two chaps are here to help. Welcome to the Powerful Nonsense Podcast, the show about mindfulness and entrepreneurship in the digital economy. With your hosts, Wayne Ingram and Jim Ulysses. We've hit another milestone today. The dreaded. Dreaded? Is it dreaded? No. 30. I think I'm just afraid of hitting the age of 30, I think. Having my quarter-life crisis. Probably. (laughs) But welcome to episode 30 of the Powerful Nonsense Podcast. My name is Wayne Ingram and sat to my right... My good friend and yours, the Turkish delight, Jem Yildiz. Hello, everybody. How's it going? And that's the episode done, so that's we'll it. see we you next week. <laughs> Wrap things up. <laughs> uh, no, today we have a great interview lined up. Um, it feels like a while since we've done an interview, even though it's... I think it's because we had that week out. I think I so. Think it's messed everything up. Um, but yes, we are interviewing the wonderful Mali. Mali... Riz, oh, I'm not even going to try to pronounce her surname. Just check it out on the website. <laughs> but Mally of uh, the offroadmillennial.com. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly check out her website um, because she's up and coming blogger um, and online entrepreneur. Um, so we'll be talking about millennials and um, yeah. I think what she was really, what she'd be mainly talking about is sort of how a lot of people are feeling this sort of edginess and feeling like they're not pursuing the things they want to pursue mm-hmm. and she talks a lot about sort of how how you can kind of start approaching your passions or how you can start moving towards what she calls a heart-centered business yeah and I think um it's a lot about um kind of those those small baby steps at the beginning I think more than anything else uh, this episode um so it's a great one we've just finished recording it now so I think we may as well jump straight in yeah, let's Don't go. You. Let's go. So, ladies and gentlemen, Mally. Hello, Mally. Welcome to our to Powerful Nonsense. Hey, guys. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Thanks. All good. So, Mally, tell us a little bit about yourself. Who are you? What do you do? Yes, who am I? Um, I'm Mally from the Off-Road Millennial. My name's kind of weird. It's a family name. Um, and I work with... Millennials, mostly women who are trying to kind of come up with a career that's a little off the beaten path, kind of doing the lifestyle business thing and letting people know that it's okay not to follow the traditional nine to five path that like our parents taught us is what we should do. So I guess the best place to start off is like, what actually is a millennial? Because I know I've seen so many articles throwing it around like millennials need this, millennials need that don't hire a millennial or hire a millennial because right. they're good at this. Like what, what makes a millennial? Okay. So a millennial is somebody, depending on who you ask, who was born between 1980 and 2000. I've also seen it between 1979 and 1995. And the name millennial came from the fact that pretty much around the turn of the millennium, everybody was coming into adulthood or, you know, puberty or something really kind of becoming like, cognizant of being a person. Um, and it's funny that you ask about that because I don't know if it's more of an American 
term that's being really thrown around because I had an Australian business coach and she had never heard that term at all. So I'm wondering if it's still making its way kind of around the globe. Yeah, I think it's only recently hit here. Yeah, it's kind of hit here. The the, the shitstorm's coming and... Everyone's sort of like starting to do these courses in, the, in their companies on like how to deal with millennials or how to keep a millennial in your company. But, but how would somebody kind of know? Can you self-diagnose if you're a millennial? Yeah, I mean, I Other guess than the dates, really. Like, it's, it is funny. I've seen somebody on Twitter who has some quiz of like, are you a millennial, even if you weren't born between those times? Um, and typically millennials right now are really switching jobs every two years, I think is the average right now. So even if you're in a good job, what we tend to do is we're looking for the next best thing. And if you can get somebody who's going to give you a better salary for the same type of job, you're going to hop that. Um, and also just the fact that we were born and growing up in a time where we're really comfortable with technology. Social media is really part of our presence, whether it's a professional presence or just a personal presence. Um, and so a lot of the older folk who are very technologically savvy and also tend to hop jobs, they'll kind of identify as a millennial as well. But then would you say that it's sort of digital making people more sort of curious of what else is out there because i know like nowadays i don't i'm sure you heard of tinder so like you can flick through so many potentials is, is digital not just making us sort of like more aware that there's more opportunities out there that's making us a little bit more uncomfortable in a way yeah i definitely think that's part of it i mean I think you guys and I are a little bit older than some of the people in the generation that's like it's just 20. a bit it's just a bit honestly yeah <laughs> <laughs> um so it's like we grew up without having like the computer like completely like I mean I still went to the library to do research projects when I was in high school um and that's something that kids these days you know air quotes um, they're not super used to, but even us at this age, we're still very, um, attuned to the other things that are out there. And I think that's contributing to a lot of social change worldwide for anybody who's really attached to the internet and has that opportunity to kind of see the options, just like you're saying. So I totally agree. So would you say then that the millennial... Um, to kind of, if you really narrowed it down, yeah. was basically the people that grew up in the kind of gap and, and the bridge between the industrial and the digital kind of age. Yeah, I totally would. And um, I would was listening to another podcast the other day and Chris Brogan was on there. And, you know, Chris is like the big name in this field, too, of the whole like people doing weird stuff. Um, <laughs> and so... <laughs> He was talking about how, you know, 50 years ago and pretty much for like all the centuries before that, farming was kind of how we rolled. Um, And that's what got humans where we are today. Then we went from farming to industry and everything became factory based. Well, then the factory stopped. So then we transitioned into cubicles. Well, now with the digital world, he's arguing that, yeah, cubicles are no longer fitting either and now we're making that transition from this industrial service or goods-based economy into this more digital service-based knowledge exchange economy 
Yeah, I think uh, Seth Godin talks a lot about that as well. Yeah, you're right. So I just want to go back to yourself as well. Like, um, I'm getting a bit of feedback. Is, have you got the headphones on, Mali? I do have headphones on, yes. I keep, I keep, maybe, maybe it's me. Oh, because I can hear myself again. <laughs> uh, it sounds all right to me. Okay, huh. we'll see how it goes. I'm hearing the, I'm hearing the feedback too, so I'm going to blame Wayne. I'm going to blame It must Wayne. be me then. It must be me. I, I have to apologise. I have got a rubbishy little Bluetooth headset on because we were having a few technical problems before we uh, started. But Mally, so for you, like, when did you, what sort of made you start getting into this whole millennial thing? Like, what, what was the sort of, was there a turning point for you? What made, Was you in a cubicle? Oh, God, yeah. I was definitely in a cubicle um typical corporate work um typical american corporation of you know 40 plus hours a week um it just it wasn't very fulfilling at all um i was pretty much getting all of my work done by 11 a.m and i'm i'm an overachiever and so i was asked for other work and i was told don't ask for other work once you get your work done and that just blew my mind of like you don't want me to do the work that you're paying me to do um i would dip out early regularly and nobody cared like nobody noticed and so that was really frustrating for me and even prior to that i was in graduate school and that was more in line with what I was interested in because the academic path is kind of almost an entrepreneurial path, right? It's like, oh, you can run your own lab and you're in charge of your own research and stuff. So I was really attracted to that concept. But I realized that wasn't quite right for me either. So I was going through this transition of, okay, I tried graduate school. I tried this corporate job. What am I looking for? Um, And what kind of fell into my lap was tutoring. And here in the States, we have um, standardized tests to get into college. And so it's kind of a big business actually, teaching students how to take these tests, how to kind of like work around the tests and get into college. Cause here in the DC area, we have like a lot of rich people basically, and they're willing to pay a lot of money to make sure their kids get into like Harvard or Yale or even any of the big overseas schools. Um, so I started doing that and it was fun because basically, and I'm still doing that. That's what my day job is. Um, and I'm working with students and I set my own hours and they find clients for me and I don't really report to anybody. I mean, I'm responsible to my clients, to the parents and everything, but basically it's kind of self-directed. So what I realized was I'm not really enjoying the whole like, here, let's learn math um, part of it, or like, let's talk about science. What I'm really enjoying is the fact that these kids, they need somebody, some adult they can trust to talk to about the things they're anxious about of, am I going to go to college? What am I doing with my life? And that's really what helped me transition into this coaching role saying, you know who else needs this? people my age, people older than my age, um, and people who aren't still under their parents and can actually do something about what they want to do with their life. I just want to quickly take a couple steps backwards. I know when um, when I read your blog, you said that you um, got diagnosed with like depression, OCD, binging. What part of that story, where did that come in? And was that sort of like a sign that something was wrong? Was that before you made this jump? 
definitely. That was like the bam, hey, everything's going wrong in your life. Let's take a step back. Um, so yes, I was in graduate school. I was really enjoying it. I would say that I would, if it weren't for the mental health breakdown, I would probably still be enjoying it. Um, but it was my third year in a PhD program. I'd passed my qualifying exams, which are like, can you actually stay in the PhD program? Yes, did those. At the same time, my roommate's 27-year-old brother died suddenly, and I kind of had to help her through that process. Um, I was home uh, for Mother's Day, and my mom broke her ankle, and that was kind of a gruesome, like, it was really nasty. So I had all these things going on at the same time, and my boyfriend, who's now my husband, we were long distance, so he wasn't around. I was totally alone. Um, and so I found myself like binge eating and I didn't know there was a term for it. I just knew I was like eating a lot. Um, and I think I was watching some TV show where they were like, oh, this is like an eating disorder. And I was like, oh, I thought I was just really lazy or something like that. (laughs) So I went to a therapist, talked about that, talked about other stuff that's going on in my head. Cause like like a lot of entrepreneurs, my head can't shut off. Um, And so going through kind of what's going on with me, I was diagnosed with OCD, depression, and a binge eating disorder. So I was kind of forced at that point to totally reevaluate my life. And that was really a good a good thing, which sounds so bizarre, right? Where it's like, well, how how the hell is that a good thing? But it really was. It was something that forced me to say, am I in the right place for myself right now? Is this really what I want to do with my life? Um, And I reached a point where I kept going through the next year of the PhD program, failed my classes, like solid Fs. I mean, they were hard classes, but that's not really how I rolled. But I was doing so much like personal development work, therapy, group therapy, um, And I just reached a point where I remember I was on the phone or on Skype uh, with my boyfriend and I told him, I said, I don't know what I want to do anymore, but I know it's not this. And I'd say that one moment right there was really the turning point. Um, And the next day I went to my advisor. I told him I needed to uh, take a break is what I said. And I'll never forget I said, you know, and he knew I'd been going through all this stuff. And so I told him, you know, I really need a a break from all this right now. And he said, oh, okay, so like a week. And I just started (laughs) laughing because to me that was like the essence of academia of cool, you can have a break, but it's going to be a week even with all this ridiculous stuff that's going on. And I knew in my heart this was just not what I needed to keep doing. Because we've spoke a lot about um, self-sabotage and like, does it always take somebody to get to a breaking point before they need to make a change? Like for you, it was being diagnosed with these illnesses, depression, OCD. Do you feel that, because there's a lot of people out there who kind of miss those signs that, oh, maybe I am eating too much or uh, maybe I'm doing distracting behaviors, but don't actually see it. And it, does it, does it have to take people getting to the point where they hit that breaking point before they make a change? You know, I don't think you have to reach a breaking point, but I think it's helpful. 
um, to hit rock bottom because then you know that you can only go up from there or you can only assume. I mean, I think I hit rock bottom, rock bottom a couple of times before it was like really rock bottom. Um, but no, I definitely think if you can turn, um, a bit more introspective and step back for a minute and just take a look at your life. You don't have to reach that point of breakdown to really make a change. Cool. So, you get to speak to a lot of young people. You say there's a lot of anxiety, a lot of fear. Like, where do you think this will come from? Sorry, the feedback was a little strange there. The feedback's still bad. I am trying to get it under control but obviously not having much success sorry <laughs> um, um, I, was, I was just I was, saying I was just like saying, obviously, obviously you get to speak get to, to, a, speak lot to a lot people, of young people and you say that a lot of them have these, these fears and anxiety, and anxiety. what was like common things you hear a lot with the young people what kind of anxieties they run into mm-hmm. yeah um so most of these people i'm working with on the the young inside they're like 16 year olds and so they're really at the heart of high school where they're really just like I'm being forced to take all of these extracurricular activities and at least around here that's something they really push of like you need to be involved in like two sports and like the debate team and the chess team and like you need to do drama or something. So they have all these pressures on them. And I know it's just, it's ridiculous to me. I mean, I, I did stuff in high school, right? I mean, we all did extracurriculars, but these kids don't go home until like 11 p.m. some nights and then they have to do homework and they're up till like 2 a.m. doing homework and then they have to be up at six for high school. And I'm like, I like that's college to me or like worse than college. Plus they have the pressure of all their peers are high achievers. They need to keep up with their peers. Their parents are making millions of dollars. And so they're like, well, I need to get a job where I can make millions of dollars because this is the lifestyle I'm used to. While at the same time, they're like, yeah, but I'm interested in X, Y, Z. So for instance, I had one girl just finished up with her this week and she's originally from California and it sounds a little silly but she wants to be an actress and she did some like child acting while she was growing up in Hollywood so for her she doesn't understand why am I being forced to do all of this academic stuff when I know I'm more interested in entertaining I don't really want to go to college and you know yeah Exactly. That's right, Wayne. Uh, And so, yeah. And, you know, I want to encourage that. I want to encourage people to be like, yeah, you know, if this is what you feel drawn to. But what I tell them at that age in particular is you want to keep your options open. You know, they're still living under their parents' roofs. And so they do still have to listen to their parents to some extent. So I'm like, you know, take this test, apply to college and leave your options open. And once you turn 18 or whatever it is, once you're financially independent, then you can kind of make your own choices and it sucks. But it's really that feeling that I feel like that anxiety really comes from their lack of independence that you have at 16. And you were saying, you were saying they, um, they, um, you're also seeing also similar seeing stuff in the older people. people. What, what sort of stuff's that? Yeah, with the older people, I mean, it's, yeah, you're right. It's so sad. But 10 years later, you know, t- 
26-year-olds, they're still feeling the pressure from their parents of follow the baby boomer path. You know, all of our parents are boomers. They got a job when they were 21 and they worked at it for 35 years. And actually, the only person I know who's done that is my father-in-law. He just hit 35 years at the same company. And it just blows my mind because that's not something you see anymore. Um, And so, yeah, really with people our age, you have a mix. You still have the pressure from the parents. You want to make your parents happy. And a lot of us are living with our parents still. I mean, with the economy the way it is, people are moving back home. So you've got your parents being like, why aren't you buying a house? And why don't you have kids yet? And we're really being pushed to reach these same milestones our parents did or Generation X did at the same time when... From an economy standpoint, we're just not going to be able to reach those. So we have these societal pressures and we still are fighting with our friends, trying to keep up with the Joneses of, oh, so-and-so just bought a house. Well, why don't I have a house? Um, And now you feel more pressure because you are, quote unquote, independent. And so you think, well, I should be able to control my own destiny. But for some reason or another, you're still under the control of some outside entity, whether it's just pressure or a boss or um, even just internal pressure. Do you feel that it's sort of, because in my mind, I think sort of, they're sort of chasing a sort of losing game in a way because everybody's chasing this sort of education, inflation, people are getting more degrees or two masters or a PhD, yet the jobs that everyone's hoping, where you say like these old industrial sort of jobs where you're there for say 10, 20 years, are, are kind of falling away. And so, and so what are we left to do? How do we convince, how do you change people or kind of change their mindsets to kind of start thinking, well, actually, am I, am I playing in a losing game? Yes, that's a great question of like, how do you change this mindset? And I think the mindset is being forced to change just because the jobs aren't there. And as people are applying for more and more of these positions and unemployment's running rampant in both the US and Europe, and I'm sure in other countries as well, um, people are realizing I have to do something else. And the problem is there aren't a lot of people out there to say, hey, here's something else you can do. And so that's the space I really wanted to step into to say, hey guys, there are other options. I think the difficulty think there difficulty is obviously there. people see people other see options, other but then it, it's, it's a massive like hill to climb to actually believe that they're possible. I mean, everybody says like even with say um, Wayne with acting, like it's one of the probably the hardest careers to go and pursue because the amount of people that actually get into it and actually can make a living is, is, is what people say is very minimal. So what what are you telling people to kind of help them think that this is actually like a, a viable means of earning a living in a way? Yeah, and it's interesting because people really think of these traditional jobs as the ones that are stable, the ones that are going to actually make you a living. And yeah, you are taking more of a risk with something like entrepreneurship, acting, these other lifestyle businesses where you're kind of in control of your income. But what I really try to nail home is the fact that you're taking back control by taking this path, you're really in charge of marketing yourself and, you know, putting yourself out there. Whereas when you're relying on these traditional jobs, you're saying, please don't fire me. 
Um, and I don't is it I don't know if it's the same over there. We have at will employment here, which means that companies can technically fire you for pretty much anything. Um, so it's like, um, what what kind of job security is that? You know, there's there's no loyalty of the companies to their employees and vice versa. Well, one thing that we've got over here that's probably a little bit similar to that is um, these things we, that we call zero hour contracts, okay. um, which are sort of jobs where uh, you're not ever guaranteed work. Um, if they've got work, they'll take you on. Oh. But also, if they haven't got work, they're not uh, obligated to actually offer you any hours. Uh, so a lot of places like call centers or uh, restaurants. So I'm actually currently on a zero-hour contract for my day job. Okay. Um, but thankfully, the company I work for is a little bit more secure than, than some of the others. But but a lot of people have had to take on these zero-hour contracts because they're the, the, a, the easiest form of work to get and also, mm. for some people, the only option they have. Um, so it is a case of... You know, I'm having to bust my ass at work um, in some places just to make sure that next time there's some work available that I'm the one they offer it to. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's very and, uh, you know, I, I know there's issues everywhere, but here in the States, we also don't have the social support system that a lot of Europe does. Um, and our minimum wage is, nationwide is what seven dollars an hour might be a little bit off with that but that's the equivalent of like 350 euro yeah, there's like a two true. to one so like how ridiculous is that you know how are people living off of this so we have these different social issues at play as well one big thing, one um, big thing um, I, I was thinking I about, is, about like, is like and i've found this difficult myself venture into entrepreneurship is that the education system doesn't really train you to know how to market, how to sell, how to believe that you can actually offer value off your own background than only only for a company. Like, did you have that problem, like, veering over to saying, well, am I good enough for someone to pay me rather than someone paying the company who then pays me? Right. Yeah. I mean, definitely. I, like you said, I think that's something that everybody is really struggling with. And I think I took one business class in college. Um, and even that definitely didn't prepare me for any type of entrepreneurship stuff. I mean, this was all self-learned what I'm doing right now. Um, and my roommate in graduate school, she was getting an MBA in marketing. And I still think it's a different world. What she learned in her traditional marketing, she's working for um, Amazon.com uh, right now at their headquarters. And so she's like really up there in the corporate world. And I'm sure what she's doing is great for Amazon, but it would not apply probably to what you and I are doing or as like actors, how you have to self-market. I mean, yeah. I agree. It's not something that's really being taught, just like a lot of financial literacy in general, just like oh, how do you deal with taxes or just other things that you need to know as, quote unquote, an adult? Um, these are just things that are not being taught in schools, at least over here. Um, and I think at, even at the like lower school levels at high school, um, that's really something that needs to start being introduced to make people aware of even if you're going to do a traditional job, you're responsible for your finances and this is what you need to do. And yes, exposing people to the idea of entrepreneurship, because really a lot of entrepreneurs, I feel, have parents who were entrepreneurial in some style, 
my dad's uh, was in the military and now he's an airplane pilot and my mom's a teacher. So I didn't really have any exposure to real entrepreneurial style stuff. Um, so I just kind of had to go out and learn it. And where did, where did you start? Like, I'm, I'm a big believer in self education, and I think uh, the internet has made it so much easier. But where, where was you starting? Was you reading? Was you researching? Yeah, and you know, I'm a big researcher because I went to grad school, and so I'm all about like reading stuff and um, teaching myself stuff. So um, I'd say I really started with blogs. I could not really pin down a particular blog that I started with. Like once I got started, it was just like, rah, I want all of it. Um, but I'd say something that really helped would be listening to podcasts. You know, I'd go out for a run and listen to John Lee Dumas or, um, gosh, I'm, I'm totally blanking. I have like a list like this Pat long Flynn, of podcasts, Pat, Pat Flynn. Yeah. <laughs> typical stuff, like very cliche things um and <laughs> lately i've been listening to the fizzle podcast which i'm realizing would have been really great back when i got started because they really nailed down these lower like target audience stuff niching down what should i spend money on um and so i think it's really great that those resources are out there if you're looking for them Definitely. Wayne, did you have a question? Uh, it was actually exactly what you just asked was the question that I was going to ask. So. <laughs> <Fair enough. laughs> Perfect. Go, going through your blog, I was um, I was I saw the phrase um, "heart centered business." I would yeah. like if you could just sort of explain what that means. Yeah. So that's kind of like a a buzzword right now, or a buzz phrase right now, isn't it? Um, and. How would I describe that? Because I think I take a different approach to heart-centered businesses than a lot of like the spiritual type coaches do. Um, and for me, you know, I've taken this journey of kind of looking into myself to say, what is it I feel like doing? What am I passionate about? And everybody talks about find your passion and all this stuff. And I'm, I'm kind of mixed on that because I, I, you know, I'm multi-passionate. I like tornadoes and I like helping people. Um, but I know this is something that I'm doing with the right intentions. Um, and so for me, that's what heart-centered business means is that I'm focused on something that I feel is good um, just from a moral perspective, from something that really makes me come alive. Do you have any clients that sort of come to you and just be like, look, I, I don't have anything I like. I don't know what I like. Yeah. Um, and so that's interesting. And so I just, um, as you know, I just released my first e-course of chart your own path. Hmm. And that's kind of one of the first things that I talk about is, okay, you've got to find your passion, but what that means is just find something you're interested in, find something that you don't hate doing. Because so many people get stuck in these jobs where they're like, well, I don't hate this, but I don't like it. So let's take it one step beyond like, I don't hate this and say, let's find something you like and kind of focus your business on that. And I uh, read one of your uh, blog posts that you put out recently about um, you have a hobby and not a business. Yes. Um, and I think this is actually one thing that I think is is almost a, an epidemic, particularly for millennials. And, and I sometimes have this mindset as well. You know, being an actor, you know, I grew up 
acting in my spare time all these amateur dramatics co uh, companies hmm, and, and cool. places like that so it was my hobby and then I went okay well you know I enjoy this that much this is I spent almost all my time doing it mm. I thought well you know I could actually I can actually be paid to do this I can turn this into a business but then there are those moments where I go you know is it just a hobby I'm still early days at the moment and and you know I mean I, I never consider giving it up and I, I am you know dead set on making sure that I do make it a success but I think it's very easy for people to fall into that trap of you know it can only be a hobby because it's it's something creative for example or right. you know it's, it's something that most people would see as a hobby and 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 kind of what what's your view on that yeah and and that's interesting that you bring that up because going back to the question of a heart-centered business clearly your passion your interest has been in doing acting and so even though acting in a traditional sense isn't considered a business like we've been talking about you really have to get yourself out there and promote yourself and so I would consider acting to be a heart-centered business as well you know mm -hmm. yeah Does, okay so what was <laughs> what was your question that's what I was thinking so yeah so, so I, I kind of think for, for people in general I think it's very very easy to kind of fall into that that view that because it's something that many people could consider a hobby that um, it's almost impossible for that to become a business because it's it's not a quote unquote a proper job, right. um, and we I kind of feel like we have this this proper job pandemic mm -hmm. where there are still people uh, from the sort of industrial age that do kind of look at you know blogging as as an example or you know making YouTube videos as a hobby and not something that you can really turn into a business where actually the truth is there are people making millions of pounds and millions of dollars mm -hmm. off of YouTube content and blogs and things like that as a business and and so kind of what what's your standpoint on 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 the hobby versus the business yeah in general yeah I think in general um kind of what you were you you touched on right there is if you can make money from it you can make it a business. Um, you know, my hobby, what's, what's the hobby I have? I'm horrible with hobbies. Um, <laughs> um, running. I'm not making money from running, but you know what? Some people are. Some people are sponsored. Some people are out there, the, the elites who are running these races, and they're getting paid to do it. So running for them is no longer a hobby. It's a business. So once you make that jump from doing something for fun into doing something that you can monetize, for me at least, I consider that to be a business. I think really as well, it's sort of just taking that, like you say, change that mindset to actually treating it like a business. Like if, if this is what you want to make a business, if you believe it's a business, then you'll start acting like a business in, in doing it. You have a different mentality with if you were working or create like, like I know if you're doing something where you know it's your job compared to if you're doing it because you know it's a hobby you're gonna have a different mindset going in I guess right yeah totally and what do you think are sort of the um, benefits for sort of embracing that tra transition because you know you could look at um, you know the day job as yeah. they call it as as almost easy money Mm -hmm. in that respect so long as you can get a day job of course because obviously right. unemployment is high but it's a much easier path than actually trying to set up your own business in many cases so what what are the benefits of kind of exchanging that quote-unquote easy money for uh, the journey of an entrepreneur or an actor or a creative or whatever you want to label yourself as 
Yeah. Um, you know, I think there's just so many benefits and I think part of it is, I think what's going to start pushing people to do that is this whole discussion on the future of work. Um, and I really think, you know, and I'm totally biased because I'm in this space, but I really think that work is going to move in a direction that's more online, more entrepreneurial than it has been in the past. And so I think as more people kind of pick up that banner, then the people who are in the quote unquote easy jobs are going to be the ones who are going, oh God, you know, should, should I be doing this? Or man, my friends are really happy doing what they're doing and I'm just kind of getting by. Um, and, and that's not to say that I think there's not a place for traditional jobs. My husband has a typical nine to five job and he loves it. He doesn't really want to have to think about like, oh, I need to come up with all these ideas. And he's a programmer. He goes in and he doesn't realize it. he does come up with ideas. I mean, programming, you have to be a bit creative there too, but he likes mm -hmm. knowing I'm going in, I'm doing my job and I'm getting paid. So I think there is also just a personality that's going to be more drawn to these self-directed professions. I always think of entrepreneurship as like a bit of a, a speed course in kind of self-development because you literally have to learn so many skills, whether that's taking rejection, whether that's, I don't know, putting yourself out there. It's sort of like a, a throwing yourself into having to grow in a way. Right. Yeah. Um, um, so another thing I wanted to talk about is um, obviously a lot of people who um, maybe want to go into entrepreneurship or stuff like that they kind of get stuck thinking that all they are is the career they had previously. Like mm -hmm. people have a difficulty kind of like we've got it down here, like um, without their career, like who are they? Like, do you think a lot of people suffer with that? I don't know. Yeah. Go on. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I know where you're going with that. Mm -hmm. And like, I've definitely identified myself as a scientist too much because mm -hmm. that's what I did. That's what I went to school for seven years for. And so it's really hard even at a young age to leave that behind. And I think the older you get, the more you're like, oh, well, I'm a um, marketing professional or I'm an accountant. And it's actually really um, at the risk of sounding like a little too hippie-ish, but it's like very, very freeing to be like, you know, I'm not my job. Um, and I'm what I do is part of me, but it's not all of me. And that's something I have found to be, yeah, just very, very chill um, since I've kind of started this, um, this path. And obviously, like, and obviously, you, like you've had this, you've taken this sort of, sort of leap to go down this path, like you must still have down days. Down days. Oh, like, yeah. I, I have like, I, I have days and I think, what am I doing? Like you said, your podcast is like the off-road millennial. Sometimes you're off-road. It can be very lonely because no one else is out there. Or, or the fact that you're just like, okay, I'm lost now and no one else is around. And I must be doing something wrong. Me and Wayne always say, like, it's crazy that most people are at work at this point now. We're recording a podcast. Like, how do you deal with it when you feel those days that when you have that low? Um, well, I make sure I take my medication. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it is really a great reminder of, yes, I do need to take my antidepressants. Um, but, you know, I'm kind of uh, an introvert as it is. And so even just like days where I have something like this scheduled, it's like, whoa, I'm interacting with people. 
But man, as soon as we're done talking, I'm going to like go back and like just kind of lay on the couch with my cats for a little bit. (laughs) But no, you're right. I mean, it's definitely days where it's like, why am I doing this? And I'm not making enough money yet. And will I ever make enough money to make this viable? Or am I helping people enough? Is this something that's actually valuable for people? And I'd say really, I mean, I sound like a whole total nutcase here with my medication. No. Oh, no, I was going to say <laughs> the, the idea is what you feel, your thoughts. I feel the same all the time. Like, am I, am I, is this going to be enough? Am I giving value? Am I going to earn enough? I think these are really common things, especially for people who are going to try to take that step. They're going to go yeah. through that 100%. Right. Yeah, I know. And it's just like you have all these thoughts running through your head of like, this is never going to work. But you know, you just have to kind of step back and you need to give it a chance. Uh, uh, there's so much out there about this, like make six figures by like, <laughs> you know, two days after you start your business. And it's so dumb. Uh-huh. Um, and it's just so frustrating because it's like, it's kind of like those, like, um, I, I consider get rich quick schemes and the whole like lose 40 pounds or I don't know what the equivalent in stones is, but <laughs> you know, those advertisements mm-hmm. that are like in one month you can lose this much weight and it, it's like, it's green juice and you'll be fine. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's like the same concept. It's like that never works in the long term. Like I'm sure there are things that work for get rich quick, quickly, Um, but it's not sustainable. And what I'm trying to do is build a sustainable business. And I have to keep reminding myself of that, of this is a long-term thing and it's going to take time. Do you think that sort of goes against everything we've kind of been programmed to kind of want though? Because I know even with this, I've been doing my blog for a year. I've been doing the podcast well over a year. I've been doing the podcast for six months now. And we're kind of in a society that kind of we do something we expect the result pretty quickly so is it how, how do you think people are going to adapt to the idea that okay i might have to put a whole load of work in building some trust online building some relationships like to a lot of people it seems a lot of hard work without actually any clear reward or even if you are going to get a reward at the end you know this is going to sound super selfish but i love the fact that some people can't take the hard work because if they can't take it, that really thins the field out for the rest of us who are actually willing to put in that time, that effort, um, and make this something that's sustainable and valuable. The people who are in this to get rich quick, to build up a business quickly, I think they're just going to be weeded out naturally because that's just not sustainable. And it's also like in terms of um, the job satisfaction. I, I think almost you may as well be in the nine to five job in the big corporation where you're trying to climb up the ladder to to get your six figure salary. Right. Um, because in terms of job satisfaction, it's it's kind of the same. If you're doing it to to get rich quick, you're not doing it because it's something you know. It's not a heart centered business, mm-hmm. um, and and therefore you you know you're kind of trading one thing for something of if equal. Um, I'm trying to think of the, what I'm trying to say here. Yeah. <laughs> you kind of get get much if you may as well stay in the in the nine or five really if you're gonna gonna attempt that. Right. Yeah. Stay with the easy money. <laughs> if if yeah. I think that was a really bad phrase for me to use earlier on. 
<laughs> I, I find that obviously find that the um the biggest thing is like you said at the beginning of the episode is just having sort of control over your time and your money and you being in control i think a lot of people are happy to outsource most well five days at least of their life to somebody else and then enjoy their two-day weekend where most of the time they're probably self-sabotaging because they've had enough and how do you cope with five days worth of something you hate and so for me sometimes taking taking the lower salary but having control is worth the trade-off sometimes same yeah and i think a lot of us just feel that way we're like oh my god like to to get two this fires me up to get two days of a week of my life it's just like why should i give other people five days of my life like that's insane and then you're burnt out, like you're so burnt from that weekend, that week of stress, that by the time the weekend comes, you, you're like fatigued, you can't even deal right. with your friends on the weekend. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and um, so, obviously, when you're kind of going into the entrepreneurial space, in whatever form that you choose to, um, obviously, you know, there are some people encourage you just to quit your job straight away which I think is a foolish thing to do Um, but obviously um, in order to build your business and and to kind of scale it as quickly as possible I think there needs to be uh, some degree of a trade-off I think because otherwise you do your nine till five Monday to Friday and it does get to the time where you have to uh, work on your business and you're mm-hmm. burnt out already before you get there so there does need to be a trade-off yeah um, and quite often if you do make a trade-off maybe you go for some part-time work as opposed to full-time work mm-hmm. um, obviously your costs of um your uh, income decreases and things like that so um i'd just like you to touch if you if you're happy to on Mm -hmm. the concept of minimal viable living and kind of the idea of of stripping back the lifestyle in order to to work on on your business i know you've kind of spoken about that on your website a little bit maybe you could touch on that for the audience a little oh yeah definitely um yeah i mean i'm still tutoring and um i'm i'm in a weird position and i this makes me feel uncomfortable sometimes because sometimes I feel like a housewife because I'm comfortably living off my husband's salary basically. And like our fun money is what I'm contributing. I'm contributing a bit to the bills, but it's mostly for my husband. So sometimes it makes me feel like a fraud where I'm like, well, how can people like listen to me when they're like, Oh, she's living off her husband. But we are making sacrifices. Um, there's a lot of things that we would like to do and like to have um, that we can't because we're letting me build my business right now. And so that was a discussion we had together of, okay, let's let you keep let you. It's not like my husband's like standing <laughs> over me with a ruler. Like, Here's I will allow you. Allow you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, you know, we discussed it and it became something where it's like, I'm going to keep tutoring. And so, yeah, that takes some time out of my business as well, but it's still contributing money. And then we scaled back the budget and we said, here's how much we're putting towards my business budget. So we have money set aside to invest into the business, which also takes away from our savings, our retirements, our travel funds. And this is all hoping for a nice turnaround on the business where that can eventually be better than if I were just working a miserable nine to five job. And that's what my husband keeps saying is he's like, you know, I'm just thrilled that you're no longer miserable. Um, And I'm sure lots of husbands would say that. (laughs) Of like, great, my wife's like kind of happy. 
Um, but it is something that I tell people, like, don't be ashamed of the fact that you have to work another job right now. I mean, you have to eat. Um, and how are you going to comfortably build your business if you're just worried about like where the next paycheck comes from, then you're working out of a place of desperation. Let me take whatever client I can get, even if they're not a good fit, even if I can't even help them because they need the money. Definitely. And I think as well, people need to, we we speak about it a lot. That's your story now. If if things work out, things become successful, you you know what sacrifices you had to make to build that. And I think when you listen to a lot of these people and say John Lee doing stuff, it is true. People have to kind of cut back on life and then they have to take that part-time job and they have to work and grind on their business that they're building. And then something gives way because I think when you've got that that energy where it's something that is actually something you enjoy, I think it it brings things to a whole different level, really. Definitely, yeah. Cool, so we're going to start wrapping things up. If you want to quickly tell us a little bit about, is there any parts of the course that you can kind of give us a little sneak preview or maybe let us know about some of the chapters? I know you mentioned there was one in there about finding your passion. Could you maybe tell us a little bit more? Yeah, yeah. It's really, it's fun. I really had fun putting this together because it just kind of seemed like something I would have needed like three years ago when I was still in grad school and I still hadn't really started this personal development journey. So it's totally self-directed. It's four modules and it's a combination of audio and worksheets and a book. Um, And so it goes through finding your passions or your interests or just finding something that you're interested in, um, things that you value, uh, what kind of lifestyle you actually want to live. Because if you're the type of person who wants to travel a lot, then why are you working a nine to five job? Um, Especially here in the States, we usually start out with like 10 days of vacation. And then like you have to be like 10 years in before you get like 15 days. It's crazy. Um, and so kind of like saying, okay, is this something that's sustainable? And I really designed it so that people can say, okay, am I just needing a better normal job? Cause like I said, I don't think everybody's cut out for entrepreneurship or is it something where you go through this process and you realize the only thing that would really make me happy in a job is to be an entrepreneur, to run my own business. Um, and so it's really designed to walk you through that. And then I also have audio interviews and just a whole book of case studies of people our age, both towards the upper end of uh, the millennial spectrum and the lower end who are living their own lives. Um, and I think that's always helpful to see of like, hey, these people are actually doing it. You know, that's actually inspirational. And when your mom is like, why are you doing this and how are you going to make money? You can be like, here's some case studies. These people are making money. And what do you see in those people, the millennials who are doing it? What are the kind of traits that, or what kind of things are they doing that's really making it work for them without giving too much away? <laughs> yeah, no, no, I don't mind giving stuff away. But I mean, it, there's no secret, really. I mean, it's just like the three of us. We have that desire to live a life that's different than what we were taught to live. And it's something that we're willing to work for, we're willing to make sacrifices for. And nothing else is going to fulfill us so we're just continuing down this path until it works definitely 
So um, I'm just wondering whether you have any sort of like books. I know I'm massively into sort of self-development, self-help books and all kinds of stuff. Were there any sort of books that kind of, or books that really stand out for you that really sort of turn things around for you? Ah, oh man. See, so I'm, I'm such a cheapskate. I, I've done so much like blog reading and not so much with the, the book reading. Um, <laughs> Kindle books one... are so cheap. <laughs> well, to be honest, right. it depends if you're right. minimal wage, then you might be. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're making three fifty euro an hour. And then that uh, would be one book per hour, but. <laughs> yeah. Well, from a coaching perspective, and one thing, and I, I just posted something on my social media about this, Rebecca Tracy um, from The Uncaged Life, she had a really nice blog post about the fact that coaching is a tool you use in your business. It's not a business on its own, just like talking about the hobby versus business thing. Business is like doing a whole bunch of stuff and actually offering value to people and coaching is a tool to do it. But from the coaching perspective, two books that I did find really helpful starting out kind of learning about the coaching was Million Dollar Coaching by Alan Weiss. And boy, does that sound sketchy, right? That sounds like, yeah. Get rich coaching. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah, my husband saw me buy that book and he was like, I thought you said you weren't doing a get rich quick scheme. I'm like, I'm not. It's just really helpful. Um, I just love the title. (laughs) I just just really want a million dollars. (laughs) Like the four hour work week. I'm still working on that. Oh my God, yeah. (laughs) Four hour work week. I did, yeah. Actually, I'd say that four hour work week was one that led me to really quit my corporate job um like getting back like gosh a couple years ago read that one I mean that's classic so everybody knows about that one so that million dollar coaching by Alan Weiss and uh the prosperous coach by Rich Litvin boy this makes me sound like a big money grabber isn't it but but, uh really they were the two that had the most actionable information that was something a little more than just like be happy and make your clients happy. And if you're doing this from like a good place, you're going to be good and stuff. It was actually like, Hey, here's how to set up client contracts and like where to find clients and how you can actually best help people. So that's why I really enjoyed those too. Cool. And obviously um, our podcast is called powerful nonsense. So we always ask our guests these two questions. The first one is what's the most powerful piece of advice you've ever been given? And the second one is, what's the biggest load of nonsense you've ever heard? Oh, man. Uh, I knew I should have prepared more for this. I was <laughs> I was trying not to like look too much into what you did typically. That way I could really feel off the cuff here. Okay. <laughs> so so biggest, biggest piece of advice. So the most powerful piece of advice you've ever heard or you've ever read or you've... Yeah. Okay, um, I'm going to go. My mom's going to love me for this. Hi, mom. Um, <laughs> she really loves the phrase, um, this too shall pass. Um, and that's been something that's been very powerful in helping me make it through each of these crazy stages of my life that I've gone through these past few years with the mental health breakdown, doing a corporate job that I hated and generally just trying to get a business started and not knowing how it's going to happen. So knowing that time goes on and these things are going to pass and you'll be okay. Um, that's why I really find that powerful. Uh, nonsense. Um, let's keep with the, uh, <laughs> let's keep with the money theme. Um, I, and this is, I feel like this is a cop out cause we've already talked about it, but the whole, um, 
everybody who's like six figure business in like three months and everything. I mean, that's, it's just, yeah. I mean, that's just the most bullshit that I've, I've heard. It's, it's just like, it really fires me up that just how crazy it is that people are trying to rope people into these types of schemes to make money quickly. Yeah. I think people need to just realize like, yeah, that, that person might sell a few of their courses at the beginning, but as soon as people, as you say, find out that it is a load of shit, then it's not going to last for the long run. So like you'll build something that, especially online as well, you just can't get away with it anymore. People are going to review it. People have, people have got websites where they, just like literally if there's an online course they'll go through it and you get people reviewing and say what they think so shitness shit comes to the surface and people know <laughs> yeah i mean eight it, websites out there and everything <laughs> yeah you can even like look people's name up and then like google will auto fill in with like scam like yeah, you know exactly john johnerson scam you know so you like it you can't get away with it Definitely. Finally, is there obviously there might be people who are now who might be listening to our podcast, we hope anyway, who might be thinking, <laughs> okay, well, it sounds like I'm a millennial, but is there like three things or is, have you got a few steps that they can kind of do today that can kind of get them going on potentially building a heart centered business in a way? Yeah. Um, ooh, I like that. Three steps. Um, you know, I, I'll cop out again and say that it's always going to be more than a three-step process, but a good three-step process to kind of get you started is to ask yourself if you're happy where you are now. It's such a simple question, but it's such a powerful question. Are you happy now? If you are happy now, then skip steps two and three and just kind of keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> if you're not happy now, go to step two. Step two would be ask yourself, what does make you happy? God, I just sound like one of these like woo-woo spiritual people. Um, okay, are you happy? What makes you happy? And then step three, let's go with something a little more actionable. Start a blog. I think that's so helpful. Like even three years ago while I was in grad school, I was blogging, I was growing an audience and I was just getting my thoughts out on paper. And really that's why journaling is such a powerful thing too of, well, what am I really thinking? And if you get it out on paper, even if it's just your mom reading it, then doing something, talking about stuff that makes you happy can be really beneficial for getting started. Cool. So if anybody cool. wants to get in touch with you or wants to find out more about your course, how can how can I do so or join, join you on Twitter or whatever else? <sighs> yes, I love Twitter. That's how we found each other. Um, so <laughs> I'm on Twitter, love Twitter, at Met Night Owl, and that's M-E-T Night Owl. And you can email me at consult.mally at gmail.com. And the website is theoffroadmillennial.com. Cool. Well, cool. thank you so much for all your advice and help, and it's been a nice conversation, and hopefully get you on again soon. So um, that's all, really. So I guess we'll say goodbye, and we'll talk again. <laughs> all right. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Manny. See you later. So there we have it. Interview done. Number 30 done. Number 30. We had a few issues, which was a bit of a pain. Yes, I... I'd say I need to apologise. It wasn't really my fault. I was. It was lucky we had that little Bluetooth headset. Otherwise, right, no, we you had wouldn't some have technical had difficulties in there. So <laughs> if you heard my voice a couple of times over because of the echo, <laughs> I hope you enjoyed it and it wasn't too much of a pain for yes, you. Yes, apologies for the sound quality, but a good interview, all the same. Definitely, and I hope you took some good uh, 
good advice away from that, really. Yes. Anything that really stood out for you, Wayne? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think she's she's got a pretty good grasp on it, and I think um, it is a problem that does exist. I mean, I've talked about my brother um, kind of thinking about his future at the moment, seeing as he's just finished school um, and sort of changed his mind about going to the university at the last minute. And, you know, so he's... he's uh, trying things out and I think there are a lot of people out there that are my sister she's a photographer I'm an actor um, I think I don't think it's just something that's in my family I don't think it's <laughs> a problem that my family has I think it is is a bigger problem than that and I think uh, she tackles it very well and she looks at it from a, an interesting viewpoint and um, also likewise on her website as well yeah I think as well like I think as she said, things are moving that way. It's just that people haven't been taught to kind of how to deal with that transition period. And I think that's what everyone needs to see, that we are in a massive transition period. It's going to feel uncomfortable. It's going to feel unnatural. But to be honest, I think starting sooner rather than later, even if just knowing the skills to, to work online mm-hmm. is really important. Like she says there, she hasn't, her business is not yet, it's not producing the income she wants, but she's working on this business online to a worldwide audience and I think I think that's what's you could really commendable in a way. Yeah, definitely. I would agree with you on that. So yeah. Um I guess we'll wrap things up. Yes. The wrap definitely. up of the wrap up. The wrap up of the wrap up of the no, that's a, that's a second wrap up. Uh, anyway, so as always, if you have any questions that you'd like us to tackle, like us to answer, like us to approach, like us to discuss, or any other things of that nature. You can send us an email. You can email me at wayne at powerfulnonsense.com. Or you can email me at gem at powerfulnonsense.com and that's spelled C-E-M. Also, let us know if there's people on or people that you kind of like and you'd love to hear from. Let us know and then we can try to reach out to them and get them on the podcast. Have, yeah. a, have a conversation. And we can also like send them your email just to kind of go, look, people want you on the show. As well as just kind of going, come on our show. If that makes sense. It probably doesn't. Anyway. <laughs> cool, yeah, you can also tweet me at C-K-Y-I-L-D-I-Z. Or you can tweet me at Wayne underscore Ingram. I'll share the books that um I'll share the books that Mally recommended on the yes. on the blog. But again, as we say, um we are we are joined up to um Audible affiliates, so if you would like to get a free um I don't know if those books are available on Audible, but there are some other great books that we recommend which mm-hmm. you can get for free, your first one for free on Audible if you go to www.audibletrial.com slash nonsense or you go to powerfulnonsense.com slash audible you can download your free ebook which helps us because it gives us a little bit of money through affiliates that helps to pay for the subscriptions that we have to have to get have to pay for really yeah in order to uh, produce a show and also it could help us get some better equipment so that we don't have as many sound issues as we had this time around good point Wayne. good point i thought i'd put that in there also on the audible thing your free book you get to keep it just saying Yes, Wayne. They do. They do. Cool. Okay, so um, <laughs> I, I'm just going to let you know that we'll probably won't be recording. Well, we won't be recording a podcast next week because I'm away. But the week after, we straight back on it. All We've these got holidays, Jim. I know it's terrible. It's summertime. Got to get away. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, as you, I haven't been on holiday. But we do have more good interviews lined up. Yes. We're going to hopefully get English back on. And hopefully, Mr. Lambert as well. And Mr. Lambert, who just did an NLP course, so we we'd love to hear what they learned from that and we want to share it with you guys mm-hmm. cool so have a great week and um share this if you thought it was useful yes definitely see you later bye <laughs> <laughs>